Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hello, I'm Jordan Smith. And I'm Ben Smith. And you're listening to Yes Chef. This is the podcast where we go in search of our favourite chefs. Across some of London's top restaurants and top kitchens. Where we sit down and we find out what makes them tick. If you like food, you like chefs, you'll love this. Bon app. Hello, Yes Chef listeners. How are you? Excellent. Jordan, you doing well? I am absolutely buzzing. Pal. I can tell you're excited. Well, it's an exciting time of our lives right now. Here we go. Do you want to tell our listeners all about the episode? So, yes, Chef listeners, um, today's episode is Chantelle Nicholson of Treadwells. Treadwells is bang in the centre of London and she's a top chef. She's top crack. She's wicked. She's got a really, really good conscious cooking ethic and ethos about her. Um, beautiful old restaurant. We recorded this in 2018, um, in early September, on a horrendously rainy day. Hey, you had a horrendous pair of trousers on, though, didn't you, pal? Let's not diss the trousers on air, please. But she was lovely. She was great. And she was like, kind of, I don't know, had a warmth to her and kind of settled us down. It was quite fun and it was nice to hear about someone from New Zealand rather than England and a warm, a warm Christmas. Meaning, What's that all about? You know, and the different words for grass trimmers. Hey, don't spoil it. I won't spoil it. Anyway, so I reckon what we do now, we dive in. Everybody, tuck up, tuck in and have a good one. I just cook. You just cook? <laughs> yeah. It's a very beautiful restaurant, though. It's stunning. Yeah, it is beautiful, isn't it? I love my clocks. Probably the clock is probably the favorite, my favorite thing. So, who designed it then? You? No, the designer designed it, but I did buy all the knives off eBay. Oh, nice! It's a big thing in it for a chef, like cutlery and yeah. and and kind of tableware. It's kind of the geek in you. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and how much? And you kind of have these things that you would love, and you kind of covet to like. If you had your, you know, someone gave you unlimited funds and said here have a restaurant and you're like oh have you found a few things have kind of gone missing and they're now in your kitchen a at home? lot oh in my kitchen at home yeah. oh no you just admitted it no i Sorry. thought you meant go have gone missing in the restaurant yeah that's kind of normal isn't it it's really normal check someone his bag. tried to yeah well when he leaves we do a bag search when he leaves mm. see so, um, um if you have you ever as a top chef would you ever rob a nice fork if you no, went to a, no absolutely not but have you ever gone, oh, you know what, that's a great, because I saw, I mean, you know, people used to rob, I used to work in Oaxaca when I first came out of London. 
and um, ev- the, they give away these nice, well, not give away, these little spoons, plastic spoons. Yeah. And they lost about 13,000 of these. And mm. they did like an amnesty, bring back the spoons, yeah. you can have a free dessert. Which I thought was a bit like, well, no, come you're, back you're and we'll do you. You're rewarding bad behaviour, <laughs> yeah, aren't you? Yeah, of course. Why the cigar thing? Is it a big, do, do you sell many cigars? We have a terrace. Um, we don't sell a load of them, but I think it is that sense of, you know, if it's a celebration. Class. I think it's more celebratory, isn't it? I love it. I mean, like, it's very, people don't do it as much now, do they? But I was saying when I went to that home house years ago, I felt like a fish out of water, surprisingly, um, in this beautiful posh hotel. And the guy was coming over and telling me Madonna stays here and all that. He's like, would you like a cigar, sir? I was like, because it was free. I was getting it on the house. I was like, of course I like a bloody cigar. (laughs) And they give me one. He said, which obviously I'm I'm 19, so I choose the biggest one, right? Instead of, because I've, you know, I want to be Scarface. Comes over, lights it for me, and I was just, Ooh, I just I went upstairs. I was sick. How did it go? Oh, Are you sick? Over, it, I turned green. Oh. Sick because I've been drinking white Russians all day. I never had it. Drinking and then, white Russians all day. Uh, terrible uh, because it was the day I was in a band. It was the day we signed our record deal. Of course, you were in a band. But then our drummer, we didn't know. It's a true story. Our drummer, we didn't know. It was um lactose, like what's it called? Oh, it's a milk. Like, lactose intolerant. Yeah, it was lactose. Right, yeah. He, had the, he was nervous because we were all living white Russians, didn't oh. tell anybody. And he was smashing the white Russians thinking, right, well, everyone's going to shun me if I don't, if I tell them that I'm allergic to milk. Oh. Me and him upstairs, I had a cigar, he can't have milk. Day we signed, throwing up in our mouth. You didn't have to perform though, did you then? No, no, posh toilet though. So I was like, well, well could have been worse. Happy days. Could have been worse. Right, how are we doing? Are we okay? We're good. We're good. Right, you all right, Benny I'm, I'm beautiful. I'm beautiful. Good, good, good. So we're sat in Treadwells. So tell us about the restaurant. The restaurant, we opened this four years ago, um, and the reasoning that I wanted to kind of it to be what it is, is for me, I obviously was from a more fame dining background, Michelin, etc. Um, and I wanted to create somewhere that was really inclusive, accessible, really enjoyable, really chilled out, but still with really good food, really good, you know, professional service, but personable service, um, good wine list few cigars and um yeah just something that everyone could come to and felt feel like they could have a great time they wouldn't be judged if they were lactose intolerant or (laughs) (laughs) that sort of thing so that it was all very much about a really inclusive and enjoyable experience it's gorgeous. It's it's kind of got that reminds me of New York feel. Yeah, and the that New was York kind of one of the English. Is that sounds weird? Yes, together. no. That was that was kind of the brief. Yeah, I just think any kind of booth makes you feel awesome the anyway, good, doesn't isn't it? it? Yeah. It's yeah. brilliant. It's gorgeous. And this clock, explain this beautiful clock. So this is our knife knife clock, which is rather big, as you can see. I actually purchased all of the knives off eBay for the clock. I didn't make the clock. I thought you meant knives. knives off eBay for the place. I didn't make for you. No, for the clock. Why? I don't actually know how many are on there before you ask. It's unbelievable. It just has a lovely light because obviously it reflects off the light, off the light as well, the knives. So, and you've been working, so Marcus Waring and you own these together, don't you? Or are you, yep. you are, so you, and it's your place, this. How mm-hmm. did that come about? Like, I've worked with Marcus for 14 years. So, ever 14 since I've years. Been in London. He scares me so much. Yeah, he scares a lot of people. But when I first saw very... him on Great British Menu, he wasn't scary. No, and then he came back, and now he's scary. Is he? Well, I always, I just, I just thought be, he looks like a, a really, you know, he's, he... he knows what he wants. He's, a, he's very, very talented as well. He is. And what's it? Fourteen years 14 working years. with someone. Fourteen years. It yeah. must be good. Exactly. 
you know, um, it's been a very adventurous, interesting 14 years, I must say, with everything that's gone on. Um, but yeah, I've, you know, it's those things that you learn and grow from and then you kind of come out the other side and think, oh my God, really? Did that all actually happen? Um, and then you keep going forward. So it's probably a good time to say, so 14 years. So when I was, when we were obviously choosing people to do and we thought, like, looked at you, you were a lawyer before this, right? Yeah. Should we go back now? Should we, we should we go kind back. of go back? And like, we can go back. Take it, you know what I mean? Take Rewind. it back a bit. So if, obviously, you're from New Zealand. From New Zealand. And did you, were you, you were a lawyer over there, lawyer over here. Can we go back then? You tell so us about I, it. So um, I finished high school and didn't really know what I wanted to do. And, but I knew which university I wanted to go to, which was down the opposite end of the country to where I grew up. Get as far away like as ta- to your home place. Yeah. It was just, I just loved the thought of it. So I thought, right, that's where I'm going to go. What am I going to study? And I thought, well, I'll keep it quite kind of wide. So I thought I'll do law and commerce management business management type stuff um got down there had a great time didn't really do a whole load of stuff Partied hard um there was a little bit of that that occurred good and then it was like i just love cooking i love cooking so much and you know i'm studying and it's all good and it's interesting but it doesn't really you know it's not something that i really 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 want to do so obviously needed a job being a poor student with a big student loan and just thought, well, what's something I can do that I'm actually going to enjoy as well as it be a job? And so I just walked into a local cafe that I loved and said, look, I've got zero experiences this year for a cook, but I'd really like a job. And they said, oh, well, we're actually looking for someone. So we'll, we'll give you, a, we'll give you a go. So I used to have to get up at, I used to have to be at work at 6 a.m. on a Saturday. Which for a student, as we all Saturday know. Saturday job, that's a bit harsh for yeah, a Saturday job. Yeah, I know, right. Half an hour before you go to bed. Six, <laughs> yeah, 6 a.m. till I think 4 p.m. And I just used to do loads of kind of baking, making muffins and cakes and stuff. But I really loved it. So you chucked in the deep end almost though. Yeah, I kind of was. But I could follow a recipe and it was kind of like, you know, I'd baked at home when I was younger, etc. So I just kind of jumped in there and did that. And then I was like, actually, this is really cool. I quite like this. And it was that sense of... You know, that's what I kind of used to look forward to. I didn't really used to look forward to going to lectures about uh, criminal law or, really? you know, oh. kind of international trade law. Um, but I loved going to work. And so I did finish my degrees and then just kept working as a chef until my mother said to me, uh, you've kind of spent a lot of money and a lot of time, you know, doing this. Why don't you just, can you just go and give it a go? And if you don't like it, fine, but at least then you can say you've done it. So that's what I did. So I moved to Wellington, New Zealand, which was the capital city. Got a job with the banking ombudsman. Mm, what's that? I know, right? So they basically rule the kind of bank. So they investigate if the, if someone's not happy with their bank or something. They think something's been. So you were like they've a, been wrong. You go in there with a baseball bat. Right? No, sadly not. No, um, no do you get sat no, behind like, a computer. Do you investigate a bit. Exactly. I was, that was my job. Was an assistant of in, assistant investigator. Sounds like some of CSI. Yeah, I once did. A, not I complained to the bank once. Yeah. Yeah, and I think you'd probably have looked at it. Your and the, your, your people in your work, and then I got forty quid rewarded for it. Well, that was worth it. Well, someone I went in with some cash. Yeah. Five hundred quid cash. And I just, cause I, I used to get paid in cash when I first started doing pop-ups, went in and the woman was like, where'd you get that from? And I was like, um, does it matter? I'm, it's my, I'm, you know, I'm banking with you. And she was like, like, check me like a drug dealer, basically. Right. And I made a big scene, made a link and they gave me 40 quid to say, sorry. 
I thought it was bloody nice. Anyway, yeah. sorry. Well done. <laughs> I carry on. I'm jumping at 40 quid. God. There you go. It was a well-earned 40 quid. It was a well-earned 40 quid. All them emails for that. So working as that, um, ironically, I saw um, an ad in, in the local, um, well, no, not local, national foodie magazine called Cuisine for something called Chef Search. And it, I really missed cooking. And I kind of was like, I've sat behind a computer for all of seven and a half hours a day. And those seven and a half hours would go very slowly. Yeah. And I saw this ad for this chef competition. I was like, okay, well, you know, I'll give that a go. And you had to submit a three-course menu with recipes. And I still liked thinking about food and kind of I had this little booklet that I used to kind of write stuff down and ideas. So I thought, well, that sounds, you know, really cool. cool. I'll do that. So I did that and didn't really think much of it. And then got a phone call a couple of months later. Long story short, got into the final of the competition, which is where Disc I golf. met the um, – perfect met the then head chef of the Savoy Grill here. Who oh, so that was in, also, that was in New Zealand. That was in New Zealand, right, yeah. Okay. So one of the judges was Josh Emmett, who was the head chef at the Savoy Grill at that time, who was also a fellow Kiwi, so that's why he'd come to judge it. Oh, okay. And he said to me, do you, do you want a job? And, I was and like, you said... <laughs> that's awesome. Like, at the Savoy Grill? He's like, yeah. I was like, yes, absolutely. And I literally went into work the next day, handed him my notice, and I was like, right, I'll come for two years, see what happens. How long um, ago was that? Was that was fourteen years ago? That's mad. So it all happened over there, and because normally a lot of chefs fall into it the other way, their skin and they, <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean, yeah. and they've got no anything, nothing else to do. But when you're a lawyer and you've a trained lawyer and you've been all, and then to fall in it that way, just because you absolutely love it. Yeah. And when you design the menu, did you cook it for them first, or did you just write it down and send it to them? No, so you just had to write down the recipes and send it, and then they picked kind of the. So there was like a semi-final on the first day, and then you went through. So you cooked on that semi-final. What was on your menu? I can't, the one thing I can remember was a beef fillet with blue cheese. Bizarre. Must have been good. It must have been very well, good. I didn't actually cook it though, because when you, when we went to do the competition, it was like a mystery black box and you had to cook what was, you had to kind of create something. Ready, steady cook. Was, yeah, it was really steady cook, <laughs> which was quite cool. That's amazing. Right, Jordan, you know what? I think we want to go back even further. All right, then go for it, mate. So 14 years, that's nothing. Let's go back to your very first food memory. <laughs> My very first food memory. It's always tricky, this one, isn't it? But I think for me, I was really lucky. I, so I lived in the North Island in New Zealand, and then, but my family were in the South Island. And every second Christmas we used to drive, and it's a very long way, it takes at least a day, like 20, probably about 30 hours, and we used to drive down south to where my family lived, and they had a stone fruit orchard. And so we'd get there at the beginning of summer, and obviously this incredible stone fruit, so cherries would be the first thing to come into season. So I literally remember just eating those cherries and all the juice just oh dribbling down your, down your chin and just, you know, sun-kissed, picked off the tree. My uncle would, would come up to the house with a pocket, like pockets full of just cherries and come and say, like, try this one, try this one. And they were just insanely delicious. That's beautiful. I love an orchard. I used to have an orchard in the lakes. You just don't, no They're one has an orchard so, anymore, do they? They don't, do they? Well, they must do, but you don't really see them, do you? Very cheap. I remember that we had a little orchard just... Um, it didn't, you know, like it was just in a bush basically, but behind yeah. this bush was this massive thing. We used to keep chickens and sell, um, you know, sell eggs out of my house when I was a kid and stuff. But then the foxes came one day, which is oh, awful. No. And my uncle Jeff and my stepdad, Dick, which is a horrible name for a stepdad, but um, <laughs> he, um, <laughs> I was about nine and they oh. said, right, we're going to come with us, we're going to get the foxes. Right, and took me at nine, and I had to lie, like honestly, lie on top of um, a shed all night and wait until Jeff shot a fox, 
And after that, I was like, I'm never going to the orchard. It's the last time I went to an orchard. That's really sad. And then you had cherries and I had foxes, dead foxes. Oh. Bloody awful. Um, that's amazing. So then, so you're over there, so 30 hours to go down. Yeah, was driving. It, that's insane. I think we think in England, oh, Christ. So, you know, Cumbria to Devon. Oh, I'll never do that again. <laughs> Imagine doing 30 hours. You're not, yeah. you, obviously you stopped. You stayed over there. We'd, sometimes <laughs> we did and sometimes my dad would be like, no, we're just going straight through. We're just driving. Mum would be like, oh, really? Um, and my sister and I were about to kind of kill each other by the time we got yeah, there. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. So um, who was the cook? It was the cook at home then? They both were actually. Mum and Dad actually were both very good cooks. And what, what was the sort of stuff they were cooking? They were both cherry kind of... Cherry pies. Oh, no, not cherry pies. My aunt, she made the most... She was the most amazing baker. And so obviously they'd preserve all the fruit in the summer as well. So we'd go home with kind of these jars of cherries to eat later on in the year. Um, but in terms of food growing up, we did, I mean, we did eat a lot of, um, I mean, meat wasn't a huge feature, I must say. Not that we were vegetarian, but we just, I think growing up in New Zealand and you have beautiful produce. So it wouldn't be an, an odd thing if we had a meal without meat. And obviously in summer, it would be more kind of salady kind of stuff anyway. Lots of barbecues. Mm. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. So in summer, we'd pretty much just cook on the barbecue and that would be it. So did you have a big, did you have like a big one built in the backyard or was it a bought barbecue? No, it was, a, it was a, just a kind of freestanding one. Um, big green eggs weren't around those days, unfortunately. Oh. Um, but yeah, we just used to, that's what we used to do is cook on there, vegetables, everything. So it's hot, it's hot as at Christmas, basically. Yes. See, that's what's smart. Cause I, I've got a Kiwi mate who I work with and he, he, when I talk about Christmas, he's just like, yeah, I love it in England because it just reminds, it's what yeah, it's meant to be. It do you is. know what I mean? Well, and then well, back see. home for us, it's not, it's roasting. And Everyone's flip flopping it up. Exactly. And you see those kind of idyllic fairy tales, et cetera, when you're little. And you're like, oh, imagine that. Like a cozy white Christmas, the fire going. And it's like, well, it's just too hot. We sometimes just have a barbecue because it's just too hot. And why not? Why well, not? Well, you know what? There is something rather lovely about that. Because yeah. also there's not as much, not as much washing up. So what do you have for Christmas Day then? Um, we do have turkey sometimes. So with my, the family that lived, the, the orchard and the farmers, we did, we'd always have turkey, but we sit outside and have it. But we'd pick all the vegetables from the garden in the morning. So we'd sit there and pod peas. Um, and then just fresh vegetables, turkey. So do you reckon you got a lot of inspiration? Cause obviously we're going to get to what you're into now in a bit, but like with regarding to having your own vegetables, always been around kind of fresh produce. Obviously, New Zealand being kind of like, well, I always thought it's more famous for its for its meat, but now if you're saying, yeah. well, it kind of is, isn't it? Well, the is lamb famous, and stuff. New but, Zealand lamb, yeah. But um, yeah, do you think you got the inspiration with all the vegetables yeah, and stuff? Yeah, I think so. I think it was just, you know, those things that just happen to you kind of subconsciously, and it's only later you're like, oh, okay, now I kind of realise why I have such an affinity with you know, so fresh you, fruit and vegetables. You weren't kind of a typical kid, young young child, and be like, giving something green, you're like, nah, that's not happening. You were like, yeah, love it. Yeah, I mean, it was more the whole kind of thing. I remember there were some things that mum used to cook that we were just like, my sister and I were like, Go on. oh, that's disgusting. What were they? Come on, let's talk it about this. It was a dishes. schnitzel with apricot in the middle. Apricot? Oh, like rolled up. Chicken, really chicken schnitzel? No. Um, was that like a treat for your birthday? Yeah, must have been. And then I do remember um, what we call in this country Swiss chard, but we call it silver beet. That sounds And just better. like cooked to... Buggery. Yeah. New Zealand's got yeah. a few words. And that was like just that. really not very nice. Some weird, weird thing. Do you know what they call, um, like a strimmer, what will cut the edge of your, your lawn? I do not. A weed whacker. Yeah, a weed whacker. And so that's, that's such but a But then if you're thinking about it, strimmer. 
That's we call so, it a strimmer. That's you go wet the weeds, yeah. don't you? A weed whacker. Oh, I love that. It's much better. Yeah. It's commonsensical. It is very commonsensical. I yeah. mean, like, yeah, it's a weed whacker. Anyway, um, let's go back to um, yeah, chefs, about the first jobs and stuff like that. Yeah, when when did you realise you kind of wanted to be a chef? You mentioned before you just really enjoyed cooking, but at that point, was it like, mm, I don't really know what I want to do, figure it out was more kind of encouragement from friends and family then? No, it was probably discouragement. <laughs> Actually, you to, to say wrong. that. It's funny, a lot of chefs um, we've, we've spoke to, their parents are like, no. Do not. Do you know what I mean? Go and get yourself, especially if you've trained a lot and spent a lot of bloody money. Yeah. Because you that free then, of, I guess. They were free was, for me when I went to No, it wasn't free for me. So it was, yeah, big student loan. And it was, I guess, the sense of I went from working seven and a half hour days in an office to working 18 hour days on my feet all day. So I think my mum was I bet it went like, faster. <gasps> I bet it went faster. It went way faster. <laughs> it does. It went so fast. And I was like, I want more. Give me more. It was quite addictive, actually. Um, and you get through that kind of level of, of tiredness and then you just, your body kind of just responds and just gets on with it. Eating, standing up. Yeah. Just the whole thing. It just becomes a a way of life and, but not in a, not in a kind of oppressed way at all. More in a, actually, this is really, you know, when you find something you love to do, actually, it doesn't feel like, you know, they do say, oh, it doesn't feel like you're going to work another day if you find what you love. But I think there is a sense of truth to that, that actually, you know, there's not many people in the world that get to do what they love and get paid for it. I think it's the satisfaction with being a chef, weirdly. I think, like, having a big list and you do very ticking and, off, and ticking off the yeah, list, having a prep off. list and yep. it's done and you're on time and you've got enough time for a 10-minute brew. Yeah. You don't normally get that in jobs. I think things can lead over to the next day because no one's going to die. Do you know what I mean? But yeah. at the same time, we've been in the kitchen. You've just described Santa Claus there. No, no but I mean, it is the tick in the list. It is the tick in yeah, the list. Love a good list, love a crossing off list. And then, but yeah. then also, what I love about it, and this is, I didn't have this obviously in my previous job, was you actually see the results of what you do. Exactly. You can see it right in front of you. You can see that beautiful plate of food. You can see that beautifully cooked, whatever it is. And then you also can see, you know, all the happy customers. I was and, I was going to say like it's the creative side of it as well. I think like a lot of musicians, artists, things like go into cooking because I think it's another way of someone patting you on the back a little bit, like someone going, someone smiling you and going, "You're pretty that good at good. this." Yeah, I, really I, I like that. that. Oh, thank you. You don't get a thank you when you're sat investigating you know, my you forty don't. quid at HSBC. Do you Did know what you mean? say thank you? I always say thank you. I, I always I always look for I the chef. You would. I was going, "Oh, mate, cracking job, cracking job." Yeah. I was like, how's your list? Do you know? But you know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. uh, I was like, oh, you missed one? Do you know what I mean? But it is that thing of like, just someone saying, yeah, well done. It's really yeah. nice. And like, when you walk down here and you see the buzz, you don't the get buzz, that, that anyone. In, that any- buzz, it's like almost you want to kind of capture it. Mm. Capture it and then just, it can be like a really soothing, it's just such a lovely sound. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you were ch- chatting before about... Um, your kind of first experience was working in a, in a cafe. But what about your first job in a restaurant? So that was at the boutique hotel I worked at in the town I went to university in. And that was nerve-wracking to start with because it's like, oh, now actually it's like, you know, you're plating up food. Mm. And actually if that's not right, you're going to – the knock-on effect of that can be quite huge. But I had an amazing chef that I worked under who'd um, – who was really generous with time and teaching. And we had an amazing garden that we used to go, like literally we'd go out in the afternoon and pick, you know, get the vegetables and the herbs for dinner. 
it was rather idyllic in that sense. Um, so, yeah, and it was very much, I just, I just was like a sponge. I was just like, I just want to learn as much as I can. And, you know, these, even these French terms that I've never kind of heard of, like a beurre blanc. And it was like, we used to make that every, every night just before service for the vegetables. Um, so it was all these kind of things that I'd never actually kind of knew existed. Say that now again. Was, that sounds great. A beurre blanc. Beurre blanc. The beurre blanc. I just want to make that. Beurre blanc. So, uh, it's, it's very nice. It smells beautiful. Is it on your menu? No, it's, it's like, oh. yeah. Quite old school. It's like when it's like when you first time you ever um, roast bones and things like that. Yeah. It's the smell that you think you know when you think of bones from when you were a kid. You're like, oh God! Then you roast them for some gravy yeah. and you're like, my God! I, I will do every Friday. And that little sticky bit on oh, the bottom, lo- the caramelisation. Every Friday, oh. it's the nicest smell in the morning. It wakes you up unless you're a bit hungover and it's a bit hard. But it's it's it is hard when you're hungover to make that like, much <laughs> gravy. But um, yeah, there you go. So was this kitchen, was it a big kitchen? How many people? No, were it was tiny actually. Okay. It was, um, and I think there was about, there was about five of us for a busy service maximum. Right. Um, so pretty tiny. I think it did about 40 covers off the top of my head, if I can remember. Um, and obviously it was attached to a hotel, but one of the coolest things that did happen there, um, Gwyneth Paltrow was staying there for, she was filming something in New Zealand. So she was staying there. So it was all very like, you know, oh, very cool. All these kind of smoke and mirrors. And obviously Chris Martin came to, came to stay and this hotel had a music room and literally he went in there bashed out some tunes on the piano and the two of them sung and it was like we were all just kind of standing at the doorway and it was just the most kind of like pinch me moment because you're like actually that's just raw talent right there that's that's what it's all about sounds like a disney movie could, they it could make a so what you, that, yeah. you guys were like peeping behind the we're just the like door. standing behind the door and that's amazing Kind of it's, he, he is so good. They get so much it abuse, Coldplay. But when you think about that first record, I know, wasn't it? It's just like tune after tune after tune after tune. I love it. So mm. being being a five being five chefs, do you reckon if you just started with like you know some people go to massive hotels when you can rely on you can kind of hide a bit, can't you? When you're in a big thing, but when you've got five people and you've got a section, yeah, you can't let anyone down. Do you think that, that kind of baptism of fire was like a real big moment for you? I think so because we also it was that. That sense where you do, you know, those those smaller restaurants where you you'll do cold starters and pastry, so you do kind of larder and pastry together. So that was kind of you just jump on whatever needed to happen. So I think there was that sense of, of teamwork. Um, but then obviously going to the Savoy Grill, which had a, about you know kind of sixteen to twenty of us per service, mm-hmm. there was still that sense of you know if someone's in the shit, you go and help them. You don't leave them, mm-hmm. and you don't kind of stitch them up. But again, there was about five Kiwis in that kitchen. So I think maybe that kind of slightly dictated the tone in a way as well. Amazing. And then when did you kind of realize, when, when you did, when did you create your first dish? The first, in, a, in, in a kitchen like, you know, Savoy or whatever. The you first thing proud I had, of? yeah, the first, I remember the first thing I actually got put on the menu. I was in, I worked in pastry for about two years. No, about a year and a half there. And I created this dish for the, what was called the du jour menu, which obviously of the day prefix to jour those sorts of things and it was this little um it was a passion fruit parfait had like a sable base and then it had italian meringue raspberry italian meringue piped around the top and then torched oh lovely um just on a plate and obviously this was 13 years ago um and i was i was really proud of it because i was like actually oh my gosh i've got something on the menu like that was a big that was a big deal yeah it was a big deal how long did it stay on for? Was it like a, a staple type thing? No, but it, it it had a good run. 
That's it had good. a good run. Yeah, it wasn't just like, oh, that's not working. Let's just get rid of that. And it, yeah, it had a good run. So, what did the chef when you do something like that? What does the chef go look, come up with some ideas, or do you just do it on your spare time and bring it in, like show and tell vibes? Do you, do you, no, but seriously, isn't it? I mean, like you can't. I mean, you didn't really. We didn't really have spare time as much, but it was just a sense of I can't remember actually how it kind of happened because it was a very long time ago. But it was something that. I think it was an idea I had and we, I probably talked to him about it and said, well, you know, and then just tried it bit by bit by bit each stage and then, and then how it would actually work as well. Amazing. So kind of, um, talking about that dish there, uh, and then your own cooking style now, how do you think your approach to food has changed over that time? I think once, when you get to that point that actually you can be autonomous, um, sometimes it's about actually stopping and thinking hold on what am I about and what food do I love to cook versus what I've been cooking for the past x amount of years because that was what where I was kind of was about um and for me I probably now I use I guess more kind of Asian ingredients than ever because you know growing up in New Zealand we had a huge amount of I guess fusion stuff for want of a better word um so there was a lot of influence you know Thai Vietnamese Cambodian, I remember as a, you know, growing up, it was something that I really enjoyed eating and I loved the freshness of it. So I think for me, it's almost now it's a bit of a cross between bringing elements of that in without it being fully kind of that, that vibe. So I guess combining that with the classic British training I've had and then bringing in that, that sense of this is what I grew up with and this is what I grew with myself in terms of food. So that's kind of a, a still a strong inspiration in, in your own style now. Yeah. Well, where, where else can you draw inspiration from? I mean, huge. Like, I produce is just is one of the most kind of inspirational things when you actually go and see where food comes from. I think that is a big thing that we don't do enough of. Um, and I think a lot of the youth of today, and I'm talking young, young kids, they don't even know. They don't know where a carrot comes from. They don't know how it grows. They don't know, you know, how that leak they don't even know what the leak is sometimes um so i think actually seeing where things grow and how they grow and actually appreciating their environment you know and actually appreciating that if that does have a little speck of something on it or if it's got a little nibble out of it you know a leaf of basil that may have a tiny little hole actually that's what it's all about it's not about perfection and i think we've slightly you know we've got this whole wonky veg it's because of the supermarkets scenario. though i mean I like if you've if you've been Big growing up wolves. in that and just saying that you think every carrot is exactly the same size. You think every apple is like mm. a cartoon apple. It's like they don't, you know, they don't get to go to an orchard and see what an exactly. actual cooking apple is bigger than your head looks yeah. like. You know what I'm saying? It's like, I don't know. I think growing up, I grew up in the country. So did you, mm. you know what I mean? And it's like when you go up in cities, it's a very how, different how, how else are you going to know? You've never it? seen a cow yeah. apart from seeing yeah. it on telly. But it's yeah. true, isn't it? I mean, you've never seen sheep. If you, if the, It's just something you're around all the time. Yeah. It's like, I think... We lived near an abattoir when we were kids mm-hmm. and we used to play football outside an abattoir. And like, now you tell someone that story like, oh, it's disgusting. But you knew that animals got killed because yeah. you'd hear it and yeah. your mate worked there. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it would be that thing of going, well, I know my food looks like that because when you're playing football, mm-hmm. you see about 30 cows coming mm-hmm. out hanging on a, in a truck. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, moving forward on the abattoir. <laughs> I'm sorry, but <laughs> it's not really the most nicest thing at 10 well, a.m. This ties in beautifully with our next kind of talking point. Um, and it's around sustainability, which you've kind of just touched on a little bit. And then other hot topics like veganism um, 
and how that kind of evolves into you know modern day culture how do you think or what do you think the future of food is looking like or how does it look like in your kitchen i think the future of food outside my kitchen as a whole i think our food system's in a pretty bad shape um and i think that when i talk about food system i mean everything that goes into it from the farmer up north to the you know the guy that grows chickpeas somewhere else or, or the yellow split peas so i think as a whole it, it's it's not in a great shape and i think it's you know we talked about touch on supermarkets and i think actually whilst they've created the most amazing convenience it's probably time that we did kind of slightly rein that back of it and start thinking about where does food come from the fact that a courgette is you know kind of more of a, a u-shape than a than a straight line why is that a bad thing because actually it's true. when you look at you know you look at a seed and you're like how how like it still amazes me that something that we can eat and something that we can live from just comes from this tiny little seed it's bizarre um so i think we've got a long way to go in all sorts of it but i think sometimes it's it can get a bit overwhelming if you think of think of the whole kind of 360 of it and i think you know i always talk about kind of conscious just con- being conscious about things so if you um, are choosing to eat that or choosing to buy from there or choosing to do that, that's, you know, that's your prerogative. But as long as you're conscious about potentially what the effect of that has. And talking about sustainability as a whole, you know, you talk about things like single use plastic, like there is no need for it. And yeah, absolutely. it's just kind of getting into people's mentality that actually, you know, it's like the plastic bags in the supermarket. They charge 5p, like 5p, that's all. And they've, cut them back by 90%. So it's mad, isn't it, that? Why can't I mean, we like, do that? We'll take away The reaction, cups. though, the reaction yeah. when that happened, people are like, oh, my God, you can't believe they do it because you've yeah. been so much... But it's, it's people that get used to something, it's been forever. Yeah, I think just even when it comes to things like food waste and all that kind of stuff, just being conscious about it. And, you know, you made the point about veganism, you raised that, which, for me, I don't really ever talk about the term veganism, like, even when I talk about my book, it's about plant-based because I think that veganism encompasses a lifestyle choice, whereas plant-based is actually about what you're eating, what, what's on the plate. And I think that you see a lot of more people are going plant-based now, or some are just having, you know, kind of, they'll only eat meat during the weekends. And I think that's, for me, that's a level of consciousness of the fact that actually you're you're taking a stance or you're, you're making some... Doing something about being it. being proactive about yeah. the fact that you're saying, actually, I love meat and I love fish and I love dairy, but I'm actually going to what I do spend on it or what I do eat, I'm going to make sure it's really great stuff. It's really, it's sourced from a great farmer um, and it's been cooked beautifully and mm. I'm going to be, I'm going to really enjoy it, but I'm only going to have it once or twice a week, but I'm going to make the effort to make that really, really good. Mm. And, you know, we all, I think for me, you know, talking about plants, it's just kind of a no brainer that the more plants we eat and the more, you know, the better it is for us internally, for our bodies and the better it is for the planet. So actually it's not, it's not kind of that tree, tree hugger kind it's of not, stuff. It's, a positive yeah. thing. it's just it's not more, an... it's just a fact. And actually I think that, I think we, we have, you know, we focus so much on kind of, um, you know, rare breed meats and all this wonderful stuff lately. And, you know, people go to so much effort to do their Sunday roast. They'll source an amazing forum from their butcher. They'll get up early. They'll, brine it they'll base they'll do whatever they will to it but then they don't kind of do the same thing to a celeriac 
Yeah, and true. yet you can create something save so yourself, delicious. Save yourself forty quid as well. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, they don't, that's the thing as well. With it, I think you know like the buzzwords like rare breed sustainability. I don't think people know what they are. They don't. They just sound cool, don't they? So I just think it needs to be yeah, it needs to be education in it rather totally. than rather than just a buzzword yeah. that makes it cool. You totally. know, and I think that that's where you know they've they've taken all that away from schools, which I think is really sad. And I think it's also going to have big effects. Like for me, I remember when I was probably about 11 and I did we did um cooking sewing metalwork woodwork they were like I can't remember what, what a combo called. DT but like it's, DT it was like yeah. you did them in like sections yeah, then you get to choose they them. were the best things ever mm. loved it you know and then you know how to sew on a button you know how to hem your trousers you know how to fix you know nail something into something you know how to weld something if you if you need if you sew and, uh, don't, you know, don't try to. it again now though yeah don't try it at home um but I think that's, you know, those, those, li- it was, actually, I think it was called life skills. Life skills. Actually, it was called, called life skills. We called it life skills. We called it design technology. Do you know what? I think like, it's just like a weed whacker. I think that makes more sense. That makes more sense. You need life skills, don't you? Going back to food in schools, yeah. If yeah. you imagine how much money they would save if someone who knew about sustainability came in and went, right, all this food we buy, you know, the stuff we chuck away, we can you make that into mm. this, 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 this. Do you know what I mean? And that would have been a fun kind of thing to learn. No, but all it takes is somebody to just take a step back and go, right, this is what they buy every week, yeah? If we, if we use the cabbage leaves, if we use the ends of these, if we do that, all the, all the ends of, of um, I don't know, fruit and veg can mm. be turned into smoothies for the kids in the morning in, in like dinner break and stuff like that. I should, I might in a letter to him next week. But no, on a serious point though, but I mean, how much would they save and how much, and how much healthy can they, could they put in? There should be zero waste in school. Well, what's interesting is we don't have school dinners in New Zealand. I was just going to ask you, why you were packed lunch? You take a You have to. There's probably about, there were about four schools, really, really posh schools that did school dinners and that was it. But everyone else, you take your lunch. It's up to you. It's like, it's your responsibility to eat. It's your kids have got the money. But also like I was made, I, I made my lunch from the age of probably about, Six and it was like come on this talk, is through, what's talk in the through the menu then this is what's in the fridge there was no treats we didn't have any treats see that I couldn't handle that me I'd have seen and my like, ass all, if I didn't have a, a biscuit my, or a yogurt yeah we oh we did have yogurt actually we had yogurts and we had um, peanuts and raisins uh, that was about the extent of the kind of treats but I think that's where I used to kind of do a little bit of baking as well because I'd be like well I want something that's like we had things to bake so I was like well if I make something then I can take that for my lunch. Um, but we did, you know, even thinking about it now, like we used to take yogurt and it would be sitting in our school bags for like four hours before we ate it. Is that bad? And we're fine. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, no, I've had worse than that. I've had... Yeah. Like your ham sandwich, whatever you had. Oh, yeah, sweaty ham cottage sandwich. Cheese and, I remember I used to do cottage cheese and beetroot sandwiches quite often. Yeah, interesting. Um, and yeah, they were just, you know, soggy sandwiches were a big issue. Soggy that was probably one of the biggest issues. At primary school. I was telling you what my grandma used to make when I stayed at my grandma's on a Tuesday. She used to make bacon sandwiches at night and I'd have them cold, take up to school before I made tomato soup. So I was sat there like a, like a 60-year-old granddad eating me bacon sandwiches. <laughs> Everyone else is running around with an Aero yogurt, you know what I mean? And oh, I'm, yeah. there, I'm there with my bacon sandwiches, my soup and like, you know, reading, reading the Steely Sport, you know what I mean? I did used to get really jealous of my friend's lunches that had like little packets of crisps and... These like fruit roll up things and little chocolate bars. It's all about that. Isn't it? Yeah, but it's like food envy. It starts at a young age, young age, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it did. Oh. But I'm glad of it now. Well, so, I've got I've got two names for you now: Bradley Cooper, Sienna Miller. <laughs> Tell us a story. Tell you a story. Uh, so I actually, yeah, had to teach Bradley and Sienna how to cook 
Well, the movie Burnt. Was it? I enjoyed they, it. They couldn't cook and they couldn't even do beans on toast. No, they oh. were really good cooks, actually. But it was cooking like a chef. Yeah. Not cooking like you're at home cooking your beans on toast. Mm. Um, and I remember the first day of filming and the director said to me, oh, Chantal, can you go and show Bradley how to cook that sea bass? I was like, yeah, sure. Um, he's a, a hunkin'. He's, he's massive too. Yeah, yeah he's massive. Um, but also he's extremely confident. So, you know, he kind of, it was kind of like he knows what he's doing anyway, but actually you don't put it in flesh side down. You've got to put it in skin side down first. Um, so he kind of had a go to start with and I was like, oh, that's not, you kind of just need to do it this way. So you told him um, off. I didn't tell him off. I did some constructive That's not what he feedback. said. I've got, I've got his comments here. <laughs> Quote, Bradley Cooper. <laughs> that's well good. And what, in, in here? No, that was actually, where was that? So that, the, the first day was in a location house. Ealing Studios. It wasn't actually, no, it was way out in... Um, yeah, get rid of them. Okay. Get rid of your bloody notes. There was, yeah, there, no, there was a lot of filming in Ealing Studios. Um, but yeah, that was quite an experience. And to see a different, completely different industry, the film industry, which is an interesting Did you go to the Prem, yeah? We actually had the after party here, so I was cooking for it. That's awesome. I was like, no, I want to make sure the food's right. So, so I didn't actually get all the others went to the premiere and I was like, no, I'm going to stay here and make sure the food's right. So what, what gives you the drive to be at the top? Because you've, you've got some amazing achievements. You know, you kind of, I was reading them. It goes on and on and on and on and on. But it's, it's very kind. It's amazing. I think I, I just never feel like my work is done or that there's just so much more I want to do and learn. I think for me, that's the thing I love about being a chef is every day I can learn something and every day I can see a new ingredient. I can see a new dish, a new type of cuisine, a new something to put together, a new technique, um, you know, a new, there's just so much out there that you can never know at all. And I think that's the really exciting bit. And that's a bit that does keep me going. Do you I think want to know it all? One day I've completed this. You'll never complete it. No, you won't, will you? But there isn't a sense of, oh, okay, let's not try because I won't even, you know, kind of end it. But I just think it is, you know, food. You could never go to every country in the world and see what they do and how they do it. So it's always something. There's always something inspirational out there. That's you, what I love about it. Do you travel a lot to kind of get that experience? Or are you too busy? Not as much as I want to, yeah. I mean, I do. That's why the internet's great now. And I do. I mean, I use travel through the, the internet. internet a lot because mm. I'm on my computer a lot. I have my laptop literally on the pass next to me. So I'm doing, you know, all the rest of it. Besides doing the, you know, placing the food. Oh, there's some great websites. So some people, but yeah, but even just actually like new ingredients, you're like, oh, wonder what that is. And you can just Google it, right? And find it out. It makes a lot of sense. I mean, yeah, it's a bit, yeah, it's cheaper. <laughs> it's hard, it's hard as well. If you're, it's if you're here every day, but, yeah. if you're here every day, you can't do that stuff. I mean, like, I was going to say about the book and stuff, how hard, I've always wanted to ask the chef, like, when you get, do your, is this your first cookbook? It's my first solo one. First solo one, right? How hard is it when they say you're going to do it to come up with all them recipes and do you have them all or is it like, right, let's get going? No, it's, you don't, you never have them all, but I think that this, so this is actually probably this, this was the fifth or sixth book I'd written, helped to write. So for me, I kind of knew the process. Um, but it was more a sense of, cause you can come up with all the most amazing sounding recipes, but then if you, you actually need to then go and, so you come up with a recipe list, it's all exciting and then you're like, crap okay now i actually have to do the hard work and, and you know write these recipes make sure they work is it quite um, a joyous experience or is it exciting or is it quite bloody like nerve-wracking deadline um 
Because like we're saying about the list, it's not really a, like, because it's quite a daily thing being a chef, isn't it? So you get something out of a day when you know you've got four months to do something. Yeah, it's (laughs) not as, exactly. Because also you kind of think, oh, I'll just put that off for, you know, another day. I'll do that tomorrow. I'll do that the next day. And then it's like, okay, four weeks to go and uh, I need to write all that stuff. Um, And sometimes it is hard to just sit down and write, whereas you're used to being a bit more active and, you know, as you're saying, 18 hours, you know, it's not that anymore. But that sense of time in a kitchen can go like that. Whereas actually, if you're sitting in front of a laptop, it's like... If you're not used to sitting in front of a laptop, yeah. Here we go again. Um, I mean, I am kind of used to it, but again, it doesn't have the same um, reward that, that kind of cooking does. But then on the flip side, you do get something at the end of it that is there. Is it quite a nice feeling of, when it's your own thing? Quite a proud kind of like looking yeah, at it and when you've got when water you stones at, or something and you're like, Yeah, and you also, oh you know, you think about that dish. So what are some of the dishes that I've done here? I was like, oh, you remember when we did that dish? Um, and then also, you know, the people that are involved with it as well. And you're just like, oh my God, they're amazing. The photographer, Nesima, she's incredible. The designer, everyone that actually plays a part in putting it together. It looks amazing. It's it looks really quite, nice. Well, what's, what's the book called? Planted. Available now in all stores. It is plant-based which was the thing I wanted to kind of... So it's very current then. ...challenge myself. Well, it, interestingly, when I actually had the idea to write it, it wasn't such a big thing as Starting it is the now. trend. Mm. So I think it was kind of some lucky timing there. It was very lucky timing, um, good. Because also I felt as a chef that, again, it came loops back to, to wanting to create Trevals to be that place that you can come with, you know, your, yeah. nanny, your sister, yeah. your brother, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your whatever. Um, and that if someone... As a vegan, if someone's a vegetarian, if someone's lactose intolerant, um, that actually you don't have to, it's easy and it's enjoyable and you don't have to feel like, can I have that? Can I have that? Can, what Welcome about if you do this with this? What about, I oh, actually, you know what? I'll just have some sides because I'll just have some sides of vegetables because that's easy. Um, so that was, and then when I actually looked for resources on, I guess, chefy plant-based food, there wasn't much out there. There was a lot of kind of domestic stuff, but I was like, well, actually, you know, I want to create something that's really delicious and actually you can put a little quenelle of something on or you can do a little bit of this or, you know, the caramelization of something. So that was kind of the impetus behind writing it. Amazing. So what's next? More more books? It's concentrating on here. And I think obviously we, for me too, I think now, you know, our industry's suffering um, in terms of actually business, but also in terms of skill set. So there is a sense of where you can sit here and whinge about it or actually try and do something about it and so for me you know going back to this kids thing that's something I really want to get a bit more into is actually educating children on cooking and also on actually that being a chef isn't a bad career choice and that you know I had a bunch of high school students in here not so long ago and I was talking I was like right who wants to be a chef and one of the one of the young girls is like it's so antisocial and I was like really why do you think that and she said because you just work really long hours and I said okay my guys here some of them will work three and a half days in the kitchen, yeah, they, they, you know, three of those days will be long, but then they'll have three and a half days off. And she was like, "What? Is that, is that antisocial?" She's like, "No." She obviously never been out on the Sunday night when there's no queues in a bar. <laughs> exactly. Do you know what I mean? You've got to say that. Well, I'll tell you what. You go for dinner on a Monday, love. There'll be nothing. Exactly. You know what I mean? So, you know, and, and I think there is, and I do think that certain TV shows have kind of portrayed it as being That's not it. so yeah. great. Everyone being said that to us. You know? Being all this kind of stuff, and I was like. I think we just need to turn that around and actually talk yeah. about what is good about it. And yes, you know, we do work longer hours than most during the day. But then also you look at some, you know, you look at doctors. Some of them do like 24-hour shifts and no one, you know, kind of gets their arms up about that. It's like it's, yeah, I know we're not saving lives, 
But on the flip side, for me, if it's a conscious, compared to a conscious, if it's a conscious choice you're making, that's what you want to do, and you are okay doing, you know, a kind of 16-hour shift, great. If you're not, there are other options out there as well. Yeah, you can is. do an eight-hour shift. It's For me, I'm, I'm flexible about what my guys do. Um, but it also depends where you want to get to and how far you want to go. And do you want your own place one day? What do you want to do? Because if I can help Career you Career chefs, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. And a lot of people have said to us, like, not just the chefs, like, especially owning somewhere, the front of house has been, is going to be, is really tough to get people so who tough. really, you know, we, I know that. And we all know that it's like to get somebody who wants to do it, you know, yeah. it's kind of like in the 90s, maybe it was kind of that a posh thing to do almost and then it's really gone and especially with Brexit comes like the people that come over here like some of the guys I've worked with for me and you are absolutely incredible and really really love it like love it and so committed to it and actually love it and now we've just yeah so at the end of that school trip session did you ask that same question again yeah I mean, uh, I actually now have one of them that works for me one no day, way. one day every two weeks. Beautiful Saturday jobs. Yeah, that's, she, what, that's I th- what she does. That's what I think. She comes needs in to be on a Saturday back. every fortnight. Doesn't does an eight hour shift on a Saturday, um, and she honestly gets so much out of it. And it's really, you know, my guys. It's great for them to see someone that young so interested because actually sometimes, as you're saying, you know, you get those those people that kind of churn through and they're there because they want to do a job, not because they actually really enjoy what they do. Um, but to actually see someone that, you know, gets He's a real kick it, out of the learning. fact that they've learned to make mayonnaise or they've learned to, you know, do a hollandaise reduction or they've learned to whatever is, is really cool. Is it a regular thing that you have here or just every now and again? Every now and again, because obviously there is quite a bit of organisation that goes with it sometimes. And some schools are more willing to, to do it than others. Um, and if they don't actually offer any um, classes, etc., then they probably won't be willing to do it. Do you so, contact them or do they reach out to you? So there's, there's a couple of charities that I work with who then make contact with the schools to then try and yeah. infiltrate. I think when we were at school and that, it was just literally, you go in. I used to go, I used to just go around my town like once a week if I haven't got a job. I'm like, you got need any work, need any work. You, can, you go in and then you do a job and then they pay you some cash and then you go home. It's like, yeah. but I loved it because I was like, well, I need that. You know, I'd do a milk round during the week yeah. and then on weekends I'd work on a Saturday. And then during the summer, I'd worked the whole summer. Yeah. And that was the first time I did as a chef, like chucked in the deep end at 14, well illegal. Oh, yeah. Looking back now, like so illegal, 12-hour shifts with the lads, like just like, you know, one I lady. Think, the, it was Cumbria, yeah. for God's sake, with 16 chefs. And they were bloody horrible for the first month. And then when you, if you can tech it, next thing you know, you've, yeah. got, a, you, you've got a job for life. It's on yeah. Lake Windermere, the most beautiful place. Wow. And then, um, you know. Cutting, making sandwiches, doing yeah. doing potatoes, things like that. You know what I mean. But I picked taught me so much. Yeah, and sorted cherries for a lot of my, a lot of my uh, younger days. But taught taught you so much because you were like, right, well, all my mates are out playing out, and I'm making, I'm making money. loads of money, and I think that's because, that was when I first become tight. You know, <laughs> funny enough, I had cash. Yeah, of course. <laughs> but it was when I first started what do you mean going first become? pretending, yeah. pretending people that, that I didn't have money. That was that was the thing, innit? <laughs> um, that's so good. That's so good. Um, coming to an end, we're going to try and wrap it up soon because we're getting we've done nearly an hour. Um, places, obviously, we ask chefs this every time, and funny enough, they don't go out to many places yeah. because they're working. But what places excite you? Obviously, you're in Central, and you get to do you get to go and try other people's. Not things. as often as I'd like. I have a list that just constantly grows and grows and grows. Um, I think one of the places I really want to get to now is um, Sambal Shiok, who just opened to Laksabar, Mandy, in 
actually is in Angel Islington, and the food just looks insane. And I've known her for a couple of years. What was it called? Sorry, stuff. Rock. Sambol Shiok. Yeah. So I've known her for, I mean, first met her a couple of years ago, and she was doing kind of pop-ups and stuff. And so now she's actually got her own site, which also is something that I want to support because I feel that, you know, I know how hard it is to do that. So hard. It's so much work and effort and love that goes into it. So for me, it's kind of wanting to support those sorts of places um, as well. Um, and there's just, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, my list just grows and grows and grows really. What was the last place that blew your mind? Um, bit intense, like. I know, right? <laughs> I literally blew your mind. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, that unforgettable moment, the one you can't stop talking about. And just, I want to eat that thing again and again and again. Um, oh. Take a step back and say, which was the last time you had a nice meal? Yeah, last time I had a nice meal. Um, well, I was actually at, in the weekend, I went to PX Festival, which was the hospitality festival, um, which was fascinating. And they set up a whole bakery there. So they just had this whole bakery full of the most delicious stuff all the time. And you could just go and take what you want. And it was all just there to eat and, and for free. And you still so feel a bit weird when you're going in there and be like, yeah, I'd be like, I'm having it for free. But then you I fix know. on it, people do it to you. But just, you know, the, this bread that was made. So they got the grains and they milled the grains and they made the bread. And it was just like, to think that they've just set this up, you know, for a just weekend. Just to show you guys. And, you know, completely kind of different environment for them all and they can achieve what they achieved. I mean, for me, that was just like, and I like bread and butter are probably one of my most favourite, favourite things. Take it back so from everything. Do it. The most simple things. Like when you, I grew up in a bakery, when you smell that bread, yeah. I used to go there every morning before I went to school to my granddad's bakery and like when you smell that, You'll never, ever not. That, that's the best yeah. feeling. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That's my memory from when I was a kid. And it's still, you know, it's a little bit warm. You've got the really salty, creamy butter on top. Just starts oh. to melt. And, but this has got to be cold as well. Cold butter. Stunning. Absolute right. bliss. Jordan, grab your readers. Grab my readers. We're going quick Grab fire. your readers. So basically, we're going to each throw a question at you. you just got Ooh. to say the first thing or things that come into your mind. Okay. Right. I'm ready. Kick us off, Paul. Um The top three foods you can't live without. Salt, bread, butter. Favourite food, guilty pleasure. Uh, salt and vinegar crisps with champagne. Together? Yeah. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. Biggest kitchen disaster? Uh, for myself? Yeah. Um, when I was... I'd been at the Savoy for about three weeks and... We used to do a little pre-dessert in a shot glass and they were all just in a tray in the fridge. Not even a gastro, just a tray. And I pulled out the tray and dropped the tray. <sighs> Nothing worse. Yeah. Did you get told off? He did say to me, if you weren't a Kiwi, I would... Uh... Kill you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my top three bits of kit you can't live without in your kitchen. Uh, a bar mix. A knife, obviously. Um, what else do I use? Pair of scissors. Pair of scissors. Good answer. You need them every. You so Without do. that, you're knackered, aren't right? You? Yeah. Um, if you had to eat a meal every day, like one meal, what would it be for the rest of your life? Just one. Yeah. If, if you could choose one meal, what would it be oh. if you had to eat every day? Vietnamese pho. Beautiful. Good answer. Nice and light. So last one. So who would be your ideal dinner date, dead or alive? What would you eat, and where would you take them? Oh my gosh. That's like three questions. I know, that one, is bloody right? We literally went to town. We put, you can't have already eight quick fire, um, can you? So who would it be? Obama. 
good answer. He's amazing. What would you eat? We'd go to the laksa bar and have laksa. There you go. Beautiful. Sources. Absolutely. When's, like, he, when's he coming to London? <laughs> <laughs> is he? Is he? Right, so I'll, I'll WhatsApp him now. Um, thank you so much for yeah, taking up you your time. Much. I know you're thank a busy lady and it's very nice and we really enjoyed that and yeah. your place looks absolutely lovely. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to that episode of Yes Chef and thank you so much to Chantel. That was amazing. She is lovely. We had a really nice time, didn't we, mate? We did. Didn't you go for dinner there? I went for dinner on Saturday. Where'd you have? I had the turbot. Have you ever had turbot? All the time. Very meaty fish. Absolutely. I really enjoyed it. My mum had the sea bream and my stepdad um, had um, a well done steak, which I was a bit appalled at. You know what though? He was smiling. So I was like, it's his birthday. I was like, let him do it. And you know what? How nice is this? She sent up a couple of truffles on a plate with happy birthday. Hey, that's a sign of class, that is. So yeah, anyway, we're waffling. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. Like us, subscribe us, and please, please, please write a positive review. See you next time. Bye-bye. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.